Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The way in which the marketing industry promotes merchandise has an impact on how our children see themselves, particularly in relation to concepts of gender. Dr. Katie Foss, an associate professor of media studies, is the editor of a new book titled Beyond Princess Culture, Gender and Children's Marketing a collection of essays by academics who have studied the issue and its many different ramifications. We'll find out what little girls are made of and what little boys are made of and why after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. A retired Army Lieutenant General who advises MTSU took to the Grand Ole Opry stage May 21st with a recent graduate to sing the praises of the institution's Charlie and Hazel Daniels Veterans and Military Family Center. Retired Lieutenant General Keith Huber, MTSU's Senior Advisor for Veterans and Leadership Initiatives, and Silver Star Combat Veteran Jay Strobino, who graduated in December with the help of the Daniels Center, each served as guest announcers for the Opry Salute the Troops show. Strabino was on stage before Huber, representing the Transition to Trades program by Hiller Plumbing, Heating, Cooling, and Electric in the next-to-last segment of the iconic country music variety program. However, Huber, who served as guest announcer for the show's finale with singers Lee Greenwood and Trace Adkins, called Strobino back onto the Opry stage to share how the Daniels Center helped him get his degree from MTSU. Strobino, who was wounded 13 times in 2006 while serving in Iraq as an Army sergeant during one-to-one combat with an enemy soldier, said the Daniels Center's staff, quote, are there every day willing to do whatever it takes for any veteran, whether they are MTSU or not. The Daniels Center, named for country music legend and patron Charlie Daniels and wife Hazel, is the largest and most comprehensive veterans center on any Tennessee higher education campus. It enables MTSU's population of more than 1,000 student veterans and family members to have a one-stop shop to meet a variety of academic needs. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Welcome, Katie. Thank you, Jenna. Good to see you again. You too. I've known women who go out of their way to make sure their daughters see themselves as princesses, whatever Mm -hmm. princess means to them, or aspire to be princesses right down to how they get dressed up on Halloween. Mm -hmm. But what exactly is princess culture? Uh, Well, princess culture is really something that emerged, I I would say, about the early 2000s. So obviously we had the Disney princesses and, of course, uh, real-life princesses before that point. But this notion of princess culture really came about as Disney expanded their princess identities beyond the films to their a whole new you know franchising system uh, with videos that combine the different princesses uh, really playing up different characters and toys and costumes so that uh, if a little girl or a little boy in, into princess stuff it's not just about the movies but it's about the whole world that a child can enter into there is a difference in the Disney heroines and the animated feature-length films that I've noticed over the years instead of just being like Jasmine and Aladdin, who is sort of a damsel in distress, you go on up to Mulan, and this is a girl who can kick butt. Is uh, this an indication that the feminist movement has had some effect on the way Disney depicts girls in their films? 
I think it has, at least in a superficial way. So especially if you go all the way back to the 1930s with Snow White. Oh, yeah. We really have a, a, a timid, meek princess role, uh, even though she's not a princess immediately or, or isn't celebrated as a princess, I guess, in that role, uh, in which she has to be saved. Uh, but then we get some some of these heroines, as you mentioned, with Mulan, or if we want to look at the um, highly inaccurate Pocahontas mm-hmm. and some of these other um, more recent heroines, we do see a, a stronger role for kind of that princess protagonist. I think what becomes problematic is actually when you take it out of the narrative and then start just celebrating the princess as a, a pretty little girl who wants to get married, you know, aside from the narrative. Mm-hmm. So it's not even about so much what the characters are like within their own storylines. It's when we pull them out of the storylines and strip them of their agency and power. Or, for example, like Belle from Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. when you take away Belle, who wants to learn about the world and and read and exercise her freedom as an intellectual, when you take her out of that storyline and just take her down to the yellow dress, then all she is is a princess. Mm -hmm. Uh, So by creating this princess culture that is separate from the storylines themselves, that's when it really becomes problematic, especially if that's all we uh, kind of strive for little girls to become. And that can be done through the marketing of the merchandise. Disney has Disney stores uh, all over the country in which they sell dolls, not just mouse ears, but uh, Mm -hmm. dolls of the male and female characters. And once those little girls get those female dolls home, they can create fantasies any which way they want to. How their fantasies tend to run might Mm -hmm. have been influenced by the way these things are marketed. Oh, absolutely. I I think when it really becomes an issue is not so much if uh, a little girl has a princess doll, but if that's the only story that she's playing out Uh, and then is also encouraged to play it out in how she dresses and acts and uh, what activities she gets to participate in when it becomes limiting in in its own way that that's when it's an issue a girl who can get uh, dress her doll in say a baseball uniform Mm -hmm. put a bat in her hands and pretend that she's hitting a home run in the world series would be indicative of a doll or a little girl who has some sense of her own agency some sense of her own power. Right. And studies have shown that little kids absolutely create their own stories when they're playing with dolls. And dolls can be a wonderful tool for that. But if we encourage princess play all the time and in every way of life, that's when, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, again, we see the limits of gender being thrust upon children. Mm -hmm. We also have a concept, or at least I do in my mind, of the word princess Denoting someone who is spoiled, pampered, has a certain sense of entitlement, and is not really expected to do much of anything or meet expectations. And I hate to see a little girl grow up into a woman who behaves that way. Right. Oh, absolutely. And instead of having your own dreams and and accomplishments, and, and I would say that starts out as a child having responsibilities, and then feeling proud of yourself for accomplishing something as opposed to just being rescued. Right. There's also an essay about the traditional Barbie doll Mm -hmm. and how that has changed over the years. Does Barbie carry a briefcase these days, or uh, is Barbie still dragging its feet in terms of attempting to speak to the contemporary female child? I would say that, once again, we see some of that superficial feminism Mm -hmm. where 
Barbie has expanded, uh, expanded to a lot of different little uh, scenarios that you can purchase for her with all of her little accessories. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when we think of Barbie, we still think of Caucasian, uh, unrealistically skinny, disproportionate Barbie. Booksome. You know, absolutely, yes, mm-hmm. very much so, uh, with high heels that no woman could walk in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and not those other different roles that they've tried to experiment with Barbie doing. And there's an essay about uh, Barbie and the whole Barbie mentality yes. in the book as well. There's also an essay about Lego. Now, how can gender be dictated through Lego? I thought the main creativity Mm -hmm. in Lego was that the boy or the girl could take the blocks and make whatever they wanted to. Well, Lego is fascinating. I actually wrote that chapter, so I know a lot about Lego. Lego is interesting because it's actually become more gendered over time. So it used to be just about building these blocks and then creating a town, which was the first theme set. People weren't introduced into Lego until the 1970s, but still they were fairly gender neutral and didn't have a lot of identity attached to them. Uh, We didn't really see the contemporary gendered Legos until the 2000s when uh, Lego went over the top in marketing Lego friends in purple and pink colors, who are these little dolls that like to shop and play with their friends and can't make decisions without the use, without their friends, uh, really launched, and not just launched in the toy sets themselves, but also launched in all these different videos uh, and a website and on a lot of different types of media platforms so that kids can experience it again in a world as opposed to a, kind of an isolated experience in comparison to Lego City, which was very much geared towards boys, featuring boys playing with them, teaching little boys that the only thing that they should want to do is become police officers or firefighters and seek out to rescue all the helpless, uh, likely little girls that you know need rescuing. It's all about construction. So yes. it, it, the you could also make the case that, uh, well, you don't see too many women on construction sites. So how can a little girl actually build a building? Well, and the toys themselves don't have to be gendered, but it's in the marketing that we yeah. create this perception or misperception that the toys are supposed to be for a particular type of kid versus uh, mixing and matching the sets. For example, having the little girl dolls from Lego Friends go on the construction site and work construction. But what we're not seeing in the marketing is that combination. We'll take a break here. We'll return. This is MTSU on the Record. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The book is called Beyond Princess Culture, Gender and Children's Marketing. It's a collection of essays edited by Dr. Katie Foss, who is an associate professor of media studies. How can kids be discriminated against on the Food Network? There's a whole essay in there (laughs) about kids in the kitchen. 
As Dr. Swenson tells us in her chapter, it's, it's interesting how this has evolved because in order to make it an acceptable space in the kitchen, uh, for, for boys to be in the kitchen, they had to turn it into a competition. And so we see the language around cooking has shifted in order to allow boys in by making it a competition, by making it something that, okay, we're competing similar to the way that kids compete in sports. Uh, it takes away kind of the feminine attachment to cooking that we've had in the past. It's doing something well for its own sake and yes. enjoying it for its own sake. And helping but, others and preparing a meal. Mm-hmm. It's not about that. It's who can create the best recipe in the shortest amount of time. This is far from Julia Child, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, who just wanted you to appreciate the flavors yes. and the way the flavors blend mm-hmm. together. Is it that the producers of those programs thought that it would not make titillating television if they just showed kids in the kitchen collaborating on baking a cake or whatever without the competitive element? Did the TV people dictate this or did somebody else dictate this? I would say both because if you look at other reality shows about cooking, uh, many of them are competitions, especially if you have men participate in that space. So I think it started with producers creating these shows for adults that feature adults and then and have shifted that same model down to uh, children's programming. What we haven't seen on TV are boys or girls just featured for their collaborations talking about cooking. Mm-hmm. It always seems like it has to be a competition. And I wonder if some of that is just because they feel like they can attract a bigger audience if they make it into a competition. So I do think it's both producer and consumer driven mm-hmm. at the same time. Like just having a little boy saying, uh, I like a certain kind of cookie, but I think they put too much sugar in it. I think Mm -hmm. it would taste better if you laid off on that and maybe put in more of this. And, you know, that's that's neither masculine nor feminine. That's just a kid assessing what he eats. Right. I think it'd be very popular. But again, I don't think the networks are taking those risks because they assume that if they break down gender barriers, they won't have an audience. How does gender-based marketing manifest itself in video games? Highly. Uh, It seems to me most of them are are violent and have some sort of element of killing the ones that are have were Mm -hmm. most popular with my nephews as they were growing up had to have some element of killing somebody in Mm -hmm. them and they're overtly masculine if you happen to even have a female protagonist character you know she's a minority in the game you know for example these different war games uh, are uh, typically male characters exhibiting these traditionally masculine characteristics of power and domination, and that's how you score points and win the game. Uh, We don't see a lot of narratives that bring in the traits that women have typically or stereotypically been uh, celebrated for. Collaboration, uh, a a sense of cooperation, uh, a a tendency to want to try mediation Mm -hmm. prior to resorting to violence, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, And and you say the women avatars are not peers. They're not treated as equals with the males who uh, are the main characters in the video game. Even if they uh, assign the same traits to the female protagonists in video games, it's still a female character entering a male world. It's, it's not that it becomes some kind of genderless uh, universe that doesn't exist. It's, it's she has to enter that world and exhibit these traits. I mean, similar to what we've seen when women enter certain parts of the workforce in which they either assimilate into a male-dominated industry or uh, aren't invited in. 
Right. They're, they're marginalized, yes. pushed to the margins, pushed to the shadows mm-hmm. if they don't become... Kind of one of the guys. Right. Yeah. There's also an essay on Star Wars. Now, with, with the new incarnations of the movie, of the franchise, uh, are we getting beyond Carrie Fisher's metal bikini, or is, are we still stuck in that uh, mindset? I, I would say we have gotten beyond the, the bikini uh, even though it's still very much a male-dominated world created in Star Wars, but I thought that the uh, that the Star Wars narratives that have come out, you know, in the last ten years or so, are a lot more open to uh, different exhibitions of gender, especially through the character Ray. Uh, but I thought what was interesting is that Dr. Fowler points out that it's it's the marketing outside of Star Wars that has been much more problematic, that we haven't seen the merchandising match the change in the narrative. Mm-hmm. So the merchandising is still super macho. Yes, and stuck in the 70s and celebrating those male characters more than the female characters. How can parents raise their children in such a way that they won't be swayed adversely by gender-based marketing, especially when so many hardworking parents just sort of plop their kids down in front of the television set and use it as a babysitter anymore. I think that as a parent myself, that that actually is the struggle, especially as a feminist media scholar and parent, uh, kind of towing that line because kids have their own preferences uh, and certainly their own ways of seeing the world. Uh, So kind of negotiating and navigating the space is tough, especially if parents aren't sitting down with their kids and teaching them how to be critical media consumers. Because you can enjoy a Disney princess narrative without being sucked into the princess culture world uh, and just enjoy it for what it is, as long as you're having conversations with your children about what they're seeing. Um, I think that even more of an issue is when um, kids are going online without supervision and the number of different things that they're exposed to without, again, having those conversations. I mean, at least the Disney narratives are fairly predictable in what you'll find versus a free-for-all on YouTube Mm -hmm. where they go down a number of different paths that could be, uh, well, dangerous, outright dangerous for children, uh, even in in addition to kind of the gender constructions exposed there. Well, with social media, they're on their phones all the time, Mm -hmm. and they're going to be inundated with pop-up ads and all kinds of things, and that means they're going to be exposed to some marketing that they might not otherwise be exposed Mm -hmm. to because social media is all about metrics, and people keep uh, scrupulously accurate counts of of what the hits are and who how many hits they mm-hmm. get on this particular type of marketing approach and and such. So how can you possibly regulate it on your kid's phone? Uh, my solution is not to buy them a phone. That, that, <laughs> not to buy them phones, and uh, at least until they they reach an age in which you feel comfortable having a balance of parental censorship and teaching your kids literacy so they can responsibly navigate social media. Uh, Especially, I mean, there's all of the marketing there that that can happen, but also just who are they connecting with and what messages are they getting on social media from, uh, you know, strangers or from even their peers. And you think about issues of cyberbullying and and everything that can happen with uh, connections in the digital age. Time for another break. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the Record. 
The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TERA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to TERA, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. Katie Foss is an associate professor of media studies and the editor of Beyond Princess Culture, Gender and Children's Marketing. You know, it occurs to me when I think about some of the women who uh, like to refer to their children as their little girls as princesses and Mm -hmm. buy them princessy clothes and make sure that their bedrooms are decorated in pink and particularly frilly. It makes me wonder, not apropos of anything in the book particularly, but just off the top of my head, the extent to which the parents' own homophobia plays mm-hmm. into it, that they're they're afraid of their their girl child growing up to be what they think is too butch or mm-hmm. too masculine. Is that part of it as well? I think it absolutely ties into it, and I think it ties into it, uh, homophobia ties into it on the flip side of parents afraid to let their little boys play with dolls. Uh, for fear that they might, uh, you know, later discover that they are gay, even though, as we know, that's not part of it at all. And you could just as easily have a little girl in a princess room who hates the princess room and wishes to have a fire truck room, yeah. uh, you know, um, and and her sexuality later on are, are not necessarily connected. And I, I think that is something that we need to remember is that uh, kids have their own personalities and they have their own identities. And yes, we are influencing them with the messages that we give and how we situate them. But their whole world also doesn't occur in our own houses either, in our own homes. Their gender orientation or their their sexual orientation will develop as they grow up on the basis of what they feel inside. Absolutely. And not whether or not you pick the pink bread spread. Yeah. And and all you do with that is you're going to limit your child in, in helping her, you know, recognize her potential and and her interests and passions in life. I had a National Football League bedspread when I was a child, and I'm happily heterosexual. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> um, I had Batman pajamas. Yeah, Batman. I did. Not Batgirl, Batman. Not Batgirl, Batman. All right. Batman's cooler. What do the marketers and the merchandising producers get out of this? After all, they're not sitting in the uh, in the conference room in their suits with their seven-figure salaries trying to figure out how to change the sociology of American life, they'd want to make a buck. And for them, the bottom line is the bottom line. Mm -hmm. So are they – is all of this telling us that the bottom line is still uniquely tied to these strict gender-based norms that uh, don't give range to the full freedom of human expression? I would say yes and no, because uh, one area that I was covered in my book was this whole idea of consumer response and agency and how that can, at least on the surface, 
help to change some gender norms in marketing, that it is profitable to start going against traditional gender norms, uh, at least uh, little bits at a time. For example, having the female protagonist Rey in Star Wars uh, and expanding who your audience is. Uh, or look at Land's End and uh, you know releasing that whole line of science shirts and how popular the science shirts are. Or uh, you know when Target removed the boy and girl signs in the aisles, even though they're still very much gendered, uh, kind of the positive PR that was surrounding those movements. So I would say that uh, consumer response and what kids want is starting to help change what's going on in the boardroom as it becomes more profitable to offer more products that are seemingly in a gender neutral space we'll start to see more change but it's not happening fast enough but the parents still have to be proactive on their own individually and uh you you have two girls i do and and, uh no sons and uh how do you help them become their best selves do you and your husband listen a lot to what they have to say before you all make a decision about whether or not this is good or healthy or 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 whatever i mean because Mm -hmm. i there are some doctrinaire parents who uh don't really seem to care Mm -hmm. (laughs) what their kids voices uh seem to be saying they they seem to want to live as an extension use the kids as an extension of their own uh, long repressed desires and uh, I think that's how we get into some of this gender normative mm-hmm. stuff. Well and I think it's a balance. Um, when my kids were little I, we didn't allow them to have a whole lot of media exposure especially unsupervised media exposure mm-hmm. uh, but certainly they've grown into their own interests. Uh, I make sure that uh, to teach my kids how to become active media consumers and we don't typically allow them to consume media without some supervision of what we're doing and discussion of of what uh, they might be reading or watching or engaging with, especially online. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do think you have to let your kids at least have some voices. I can't imagine not because they have such loud voices. (laughs) that It would be difficult to not uh, let them kind of find their own paths. And I think also letting them, you know, read a variety of books, uh, try out a lot of different activities to really see who do they want to become and, and and what kind of values are important to us, you know, can be passed along to them without controlling everything that they think or do. Don't believe everything you read or hear or right. watch, regardless of which medium you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Employ critical thinking skills, and that means questioning authority, even if it means sometimes questioning mommy and daddy's authority. Yes, they do that. <laughs> they definitely do that, but make sure that... Uh, you, you know, within reason and within right. limits at appropriate times. Too. Right. Don't uh, don't kick your teacher in the shin if you disagree with no. her. Please, just you talk it out. <laughs> exactly. Start with communication. Yeah. Beyond Princess Culture, Gender and Children's Marketing, edited by Dr. Katie Foss, and the um, the publisher is Peter Lang. Mm-hmm. Okay. Available wherever books are sold. Thank yes. you. Thanks, Katie. Yeah. Thanks, Jenna. We'll be right back. The Tennessee Early Childhood Training Alliance, or TECTA, works to improve the quality of child care in Tennessee by establishing a statewide training and professional recognition system. Through TECTA, child care providers may be eligible for free orientation training, tuition support for early childhood academic courses, and networking opportunities, as well as other services. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. 
The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. MTSU chemistry professor Judith Iriarty Gross, speaking at the university's spring 2019 graduate school commencement ceremony, urged the newly minted master's and doctoral degree holders to keep asking questions as they take on life outside MTSU. I was told to always ask questions. You might recall a faculty member telling your class that there's no such thing as a stupid question. I agree. There is no such thing as a stupid question. I asked a lot of questions on my journey. You have moved forward by asking questions. Asking questions leads to success. To date, you have asked the right questions, and your reward is your graduate degree. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.